You're listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with Pamela Deneuve, founder of Pamela Deneuve Lawyer and Law Firm Peak Strategist. Since 1992, Pamela has spent more than 38,000 hours giving lawyers a proven and successful strategy to build seven-figure law practices and get the right clients in the door. She specializes in working with lawyers who are experiencing challenges or transitioning their careers. So welcome, Pamela. Pamela, it's such a joy to have you here today on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Thank you, Davina. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Great. So tell us, you have been at this a long time and you have put in a lot of work. So I want to hear, let's go way back and start with your journey to becoming a lawyer and working as a lawyer and what led you to do what it is that you're doing today. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm not a lawyer. I'm a coach for lawyers. Oh, okay. So thanks for uh, clearing that up. Yeah, that's good. It's good. And it's really good because I really get to have an outside perspective Mm -hmm. while actually being immersed in the legal profession, working with so many lawyers, hundreds of lawyers over the years, but uh, actually having not having that outside perspective, which is very helpful. But Mm -hmm. I began uh, working with attorneys uh, back in uh, 1992, as I said, and I started in Santa Monica, California, Mm -hmm. and it was not intentional. I was going to work with lawyers. I opened a practice, and I had this beautiful office on Wilshire Boulevard, and um, lawyers found me, and always my my practice was like 60% lawyers. So, um, you know, I wasn't really at that time aware of all of the issues that uh, were facing attorneys at that time. Um, I actually had an attorney that came to me saying that, because uh, that they were uh, suicidal, and, and I didn't really understand at that point all of the things that I do understand now about why lawyers are so stressed. Right. And um, so I just really learned about them. I had a, a, a couple; they were both attorneys and uh, city managers. They both were they were they were lawyers, city managers, and law firm practices, and all sorts of uh, opportunities to learn more and more about attorneys. And back then, Davina, mm-hmm. people didn't have coaches, really. Uh, they, right. they didn't have all the hierarchies and things they have now. And But I was in California and in the L.A. area, and so it wasn't like, do you have a coach? It's like, who's your coach? Mm-hmm. So that was uh, really a, a, an eye-opener. Um, it's, I, there was a... Uh, an attorney and she came to me and she, like I said, she was a uh, very successful, lived in a very successful Marina Del Rey, which is a very prestigious area at that time. It probably still is. And uh, she just said, I, I just can't go on. I can't go on this way. And she had a lot of uh, emotional issues that were, that were facing her. And um, I said, well, you know, maybe you should go to a therapist or a psychiatrist. And she was saying, Pamela, I've gone to, uh, I'm on medication, I've gone to a therapist, and um, 
I still have these feelings. And my friend said I, that you're the person I should come to. Please see me. So I did wow. see her, and wow, her whole life and her whole law practice uh, completely transformed. And it just let me know that I was doing the right thing, serving the right people. Right, right. And and you make such a great point because, you know, sometimes we think we the the problem is us. We have anxiety. And maybe there's something wrong with us and it's an internal thing. And certainly there are people that do have those kinds of issues. But sometimes it could be that you're living in, you're a normal person living in an insane world. <laughs> maybe the one that you've created for yourself and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that your business may be the very thing that is causing you anxiety. I have a, a friend who is a coach and she has start she's been she was a therapist before she became a, to, a coach and mm -hmm. she she really started exploring and researching and writing about how oftentimes people create businesses that then traumatize them they take their mm -hmm. trauma from childhood and instead of instead of bringing it forth by the people they attract in their relationships they create a business that harms them in in a certain specific kind of way and they don't realize that and they don't understand why they can't break through in their business and why they can't be successful but it's because the way that they've set things up in their business makes it so hard for them to get to that next level of success i mean have you seen that kind of thing in some of your clients you've worked with yes um so one of the things that was very key that i you know, dealing with neuroscience and a lot of things like that. And I'm going to give you a little, a few figures here. Okay, so um, we have between fifty and eighty thousand thoughts per day. Okay, mm -hmm. which is about between twenty one hundred and three thousand thoughts per hour. And eighty percent of those thoughts is proven by science to be negative, and ninety five percent of those are repetitive. That means that we had. 80% of our thoughts were negative, and the next day we have the same thoughts. But here's the kicker. We're only aware of 5% of our thoughts. Only 5% of our thoughts are conscious, and the other 95% are subconscious. In, in the work that I do, similar to the coach you just spoke about, is we really have to get to the root cause. And so this is information, uh, according to the National Science Foundation, that we have all these thoughts, but these thoughts are running our lives. So when someone comes to work with me, the first thing we do is I want to know what makes them tick. Because science also shows us that our personalities are pretty much developed by the time we're seven. Yeah. We are, we, we, what we think of ourselves, our self-esteem, our self-worth, where we think we fit in with the world, our dynamics in the male and female dynamics, patriarchal, all of those things are, are hardwired in our brain before we're seven years old. So therefore, we grow, you know, my clients, they grow up and they don't really realize it, but they have created their practice, which in the paradigm of what they learned before the age of seven. But 95% of that information that they're using to develop their practice and practice law and develop relationships is really subconscious. Mm -hmm. And so 
we do is we go back to the first house they lived in before the age of seven. I want to know what are their coping, what coping skills did they have? What did they overcome? What kind of personality, I call it a basic operating principle, what kind of basic operating principle did they develop? And I'll tell you, Davina, when we mm -hmm. find out what their basic operating principle is and what they overcame and how they won or how they lost or whatever, it's exactly in their law practice today. Wow. So once they, once they have a conscious awareness, no, now with this information, once we go back to the first house, is no longer hidden. It's no longer that 95%. They now know what it is. And so once they find out what it is, okay, this is your basic operating principle, or they, they realize, now go back in your life for a week to 10 days and watch yourself do it. Right. It must be so and, shocking and illuminating shocking. to step mm -hmm. back and see your mm -hmm. seven-year-old self running your business. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they're really, really, really shocked that um, that, that is happening. I, there was one, it's, a, she's, it's an older woman now, but she um, just kept, was chronically sick. She couldn't get well. She just couldn't, didn't know why she was always sick. And as she got older, she was more and more debilitated. And uh, she went back to her first house. And she, like I said, she was older. She grew up in the UK. And uh, it was during World War II. And her mm -hmm. parents sent her to go live with an aunt. Because, you know, they were bombing London, you know, so they wanted to protect her. Right. But she had never, she was an only child. She had never been um, away from, separated from her parents. And plus her aunt was, was mean. She didn't really want to have her. And so she got so sick that she almost died because she was so traumatized being away from her parents. Oh, so wow. the aunt called the aunt called the parents and said, Come and see your daughter, uh, you know, before she dies. She's getting ready to die. Well, when her parents arrived, she perked up, and she was, she didn't die. She, she got well, she got healthy, but she right. had a basic operating principle of if I get sick, they will come. That's what's what she, in her hardwire, in her brain that she didn't know. And so there she was as, a, as an adult getting sick, and she didn't know why. She was always sick. Right. And so, was, so what changes then did, was she able to make from that? Okay, so what she was able to make up is she's like, she was number one, she was furious. And a lot of times you find out it's like, she was furious, like, oh my God, you mean I've been sick all these times, psychosomatic or whatever, because of, you know, I, I felt like this would save my life on a subconscious level. So she started, um, Working out, she went hiking. She she found a boyfriend. I mean, wow! Everything wow. in her life changed. Her practice, you know, started to thrive. You know, she figured out what day she wanted to practice law. She was older, and she didn't want to really practice law full time. But uh, she was able to do that. And so, once a person knows what subconscious is running uh, running them, then everything can change. That's why I tell them, go back in your life for ten, seven to 10 days. Don't change your behavior because what we resist persists. Just watch yourself do it. And there's good news and bad news. The good news is you will never be able to do that again without knowing what you're doing. <laughs> you will never be able to do that. And that's also the bad news. The bad news is 
it becomes painful if you try to do. So that's why people's whole lives and their whole whole um, law practice really transforms in six months. In about right. six months, it takes about six months of being conscious of what you're doing to be able to change those patterns and habits in their law practice that are making them so unhappy. And kind of like what you said, Davina, it traumatized, they created a situation where they're repeating a trauma over and over again. And that's, and it's a trap. Because again, 95% of our thoughts are uh, repetitive. Right. Whether you know it or not. Right, right. Wow, that's so, that is so illuminating for people. And I know that that's, I know a lot of people discover these things about themselves in therapy that they, you know, they go through therapy and they discover these repeat behaviors. But I think oftentimes people don't think about it in terms of their business. They think about it in terms mm -hmm. of maybe, you know, their interpersonal relationships, marriages and things like that. But you can also create those same situations in your business because in your business, you're, you're working with other people. You're working with your team and you're working with clients and all of those are relationships and the relationship patterns we learn and the behaviors we learn from ourselves for ourselves, uh, you know, are bound to show up in ways that we just never even, never even expect. So that is so interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me how you came to, I know how you came to work with lawyers, but tell me how you came to do this type of work, this, this level of coaching where you're really examining sort of mental and emotionally what's going on as opposed to, you know, maybe just coming in with strategy work. What, be, did it start out that way for you or is this something that you learned over time that would be beneficial to your clients? Well, you know, Davina, what I discovered was that everyone seemed to have like an Achilles heel and in their law practice, I really found that that was the case. You know, for example, um, you know, and I'm going to get to your question. It's like one of my clients who graduated from one of, you know, the top law school in the country mm -hmm. um, had a very uh, uh, traumatic relationship with her father. Mm -hmm. So there she, when she graduates, even though she has this wonderful skills, she cannot hold her own with male partners. Right. She cannot hold her own with her male partners. She cannot hold herself with the opposing counsel. She has all of these things and it's all developed, you know, all repetitive. So the reason that I, I developed this method was probably 99.9% .9 of the people who come to me have been in therapy for like five, right. 10 years or so. Right. And so it, it's one thing to understand it. Oh, okay. I understand this. But the behavior, the changing behavior is where the coaching comes in. So for me, if I take a client and I say, okay, they come in because I ask them to come to me with three things they'd like to change in their law practice. And they say, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not rainmaking or I, I, I'm not billing or I've, I've um, you know, I, you know, my, my marriage is bad and it's affecting my law practice and we're arguing and, it, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the issues are. And I, right. I've seen everything. There's nothing I haven't seen. Um, now, it would be, to me, a disservice to say, okay, well, now I want you to make 10 calls a day and call me and, you know, that's behavior modification. So now they're right. pushing themselves to do a behavior 
when it hasn't been like, why is this so difficult for you? Right. Well, you it know, you need to it understand. Stick. Right. It'll be a behavior modification that, you know, as long as I'm there to kind of point the way or whatever, maybe they'll do it. But then even over time, that will get old. So it really has to, I believe, it has to come from the inside out. So inside out means you need, they, my clients need to have a conscious awareness of why they do what they do. Like once my client had a conscious awareness that she was basically afraid of men and afraid to stand her own with a man, with a man. Mm -hmm. But once she understands that, so like, for example, she had a case where this male was going to take most of the money and she had done all the work and that happened to her over and over again. Right. So, you know, we, so, okay, we, we had to say, okay, this is why you understand why you're doing this, but however, this is what you're going to do. So, you know, we practiced, we helped her to say what she was going to say. And she felt because of her childhood, she felt like Thumbelina versus the Jolly Green Giant, you know, or the Incredible Hulk. It's how it felt for her. But once she was able to, okay, this is, this is, you know, some old tapes I have. And then she was able to follow my coaching and we practiced what she was going to say. And then she actually said it, even though her legs were trembling. And then she got the deal. She got, she got the deal. And even though the male was mad, she understood that that was okay for him to be mad. That she right. held her own in her business. And so those are the kind of things that it, it gives you gives them the double power. It's like having double or triple the power when they start to take these actions that are, are, are fearful. And so those are the things that really help by knowing why, where it came from, and uh, why you're doing that. Right, right. So, so, uh, so women who come to me, they are women, they're real, usually very high achievers, graduate from really great schools, but they've hit some sort of wall. And generally, I'll tell you, um, <clears throat> although I had a, a really great uh, a client that was, was in her 30s, and she uh, was having migraine headaches, she was working with a firm, and she would like go really fast, you know, she'd work 60 hours, she'd work 80 hours, and then she'd have a migraine, and then she would be, you know, incapacitated for days or weeks at a time. Yeah. And she just, she came to me and said, you know, I want, I want to, I can't keep going like this. And we were able to correct that and realize that, you know, in her, her case, um, and, you know, and we all, you know, we all have trauma. I had trauma as a child. I mean, and it may, even with people that have great childhoods, mm -hmm. you know, um, I've, I've had people that were in the Bristol Meyer Quid, Squib lineage, you know, not the, the direct descendants, but very wealthy, come from very wealthy families. Um, but we all, they're all, you know, we don't know what happens behind closed doors, right? Right. And so we all develop, what's the point is, is that we all develop coping skills that we don't even know we have. Right. And so they come to me and they say, you know, I burned out. Um, I, I, I can't, I'm sabotaging myself. I've hit a wall. I don't enjoy practicing law anymore. And um, I, I need to find, you know, I, I do want to continue to practicing law. And um, can you help me? Right, right. 
I do have like a judge I was working with and um, she uh, had a practice and she had, and she, she was, you know, municipal and, you know, she wanted to figure out, she says, you know, I want to make money while I'm not working. And I, I'm all for that. So we were able to figure out for her how she could take uh, PI cases and have those handled within the firm that she was associated with so that she was getting her, you know, finder's fee or bringing it to the firm and uh, doing that. And she's just, uh, you know, we just talked not too long ago and she's like, yeah, I didn't think that that was possible. I didn't think that when you said that I could make money, you know, have other people making money for me uh, at that time, you know, I'm a lawyer. I didn't think, or I'm a judge. I didn't think outside the box. So it's good to help them to think outside the box because uh, once she realized uh, that she was taking, she was always taking care of everybody but herself, which is really very characteristic of women in general, let right. alone lawyers, which are double caretakers. So they run themselves ragged, uh, you know, run for law practice, trying to be everything to everybody uh, for the firm. And then uh, coming home, if they have a mate or a husband or children or, or uh, aging parents, you know, and, and they're wondering, oh, what, you know, why am I not being superwoman or, you know, what's wrong with me? Very right. And it's interesting. Themselves. It's interesting that you said, uh, Attorneys are double caretakers because, especially mm -hmm. women attorneys, um, mm -hmm. because I think that most women attorneys don't think of themselves that way. They think of themselves as, you know, the business people and they're, they, they don't have a lot of, you know, they're very practical about how we need to work through and resolve this problem. And so they may not even be thinking of themselves as caretakers in the workplace and see how that's showing up for them in their workplace and how they maybe are taking on way more than what they should be taking on for their clients. Have you seen that? Yeah, I do. Because number one, you know, it's like a women lawyers may feel that they have to prove themselves more than, than the male. Mm -hmm. And if they're, if they're in a firm, if they have their own firm, the clients that come in, you know, they have to feel like they're, you know, they're, uh, they have the answers to all the questions, right? That they have to be, they have to have this certain profile. I had a client right. and she, when I first, we first started working together, I said, she had a, she had her own firm. I said, well, you have one broken down paralegal. Yeah, and uh, she didn't like me saying that, but basically, oh, yeah, she had sure. a part-time part paralegal that she was had been with her for so many years, and you know she didn't want to let her go, but she only wanted to work part-time, and she was like making this uh, attorney's life miserable because she would leave because she had to go and take care of her mother or whatever, and you know she had she without preparing the things she needed for for court, and so. To get her to make that change was very difficult. So one of the things I do, um, I'm, I'm like really in there at the practices with my, my clients. So, you know, I'm, I help her, you know, to, okay, we're going to start hiring people. You know, we do Zoom. You know, she interviews them. I also help her to choose the people she's going to hire. Um, if she, you know, that's something that I do, you know, to have, especially if you're a solopreneur. And uh, 
you know, by the time it was in over a little over a year, she had three paralegals. She had that kind of business. She also said, I want to work for high profile. I want to work for high profile athletes. I said, perfect. So we developed a marketing plan on that. And sure enough, she started getting these high profile cases. She had the work to justify that. And in that period of time, she also was able to buy her own office building. So, so wow. she, but you see how she was stuck. She was well, stuck in that one relationship. I, I think that's very common um, <laughs> with, with solos and smaller firms and particularly with women. One of the things that I've found to be so interesting mm -hmm. in doing this work is that you know, there are, there are no big law firms that are owned and run started by women. And mm -hmm. when I talk with solos now who start their own business because they don't want to work for a big law, you know, what we call big mm -hmm. law, um, yeah. because, because it's not been a satisfactory experience for a lot right, of women and they right. see that. Mm -hmm. And so they mm -hmm. say, I want to start my own firm. But what I found interesting mm -hmm. is the cap on the vision that so mm -hmm. many women attorneys have when they have their firm. Like mm -hmm. you just mentioned somebody mm -hmm. who here, she's been working for years with her paralegal. She's burned her paralegal out. She's not happy mm -hmm. when you tell her that. And then when you mm -hmm. start doing the work and turning that around, you, you mm -hmm. see the very quick expansion of that. And do you mm -hmm. find that maybe some of these traumas that we don't realize we have are causing us to cap our, our, vision and not be able to see the possibilities for what we can create. It's like there's a limitation on what I can have. Right. So if we keep in mind, you know, I'm going to go back to the original model and then I go back to the model for my client. Okay. You made, you know, basically the decision of who you are and what you're, you know, what you're capable of before you were seven mm -hmm. and you're having a dialogue in your mind, 95% that you don't even know you're having. Mm -hmm. If you want to know what your what conversation you're having, look at what's going on in your life. But you really do need someone outside of you. You know, like the, the woman who, who had the um, the broken down paralegal, or the judge who had a 30 year practice that she could of, of contacts that she could generate income from and not do the work, mm -hmm. but. She couldn't, she didn't think of herself like that. It's like, where, what did I put my hand on? What did I, what did I do? You know? Oh so. yeah. It's always the doing. It's always getting mm -hmm. so, so many women who their favorite phrase is I'll just do it mm -hmm. my damn self. Cause it's going to be faster, mm -hmm. or easier, whatever mm -hmm. than it is for me to it's, and they mm -hmm. get caught up in the doing part of it. And that's where the value is in their minds. Yeah. My value right. is in the and, doing. Yeah. Right. And control, you know, like it, it like you have to, you know, if you're going to have a practice that's going to be outside of you, you have to learn to trust and and control and, and let go of the control. And that is something I really have with uh, women uh, because a lot of things, you know, they don't trust. You know, right. I mean, I, you know, I just bring this up because it's very common. Uh, many, many women have been molested as children. What do you think your your thing is to do? I'm going to control everything around me. You know, I, I'm, I've been in this or I've been dominated by a big brother or father or whatever. And or so even instability in the family home. Not able home. to trust. Mm -hmm. in, even instability so, of any kind in the family home when you're a child. If you have right. any sort of instability, right. you feel like right. there's a control, 
you like mm-hmm. if I can just control it, it will be okay. But, right. Right. And if you think about it, yes. And if you think about it, you know, to become a lawyer, you know, it's not easy for women. It's not easy for anyone. It's not easy for right. women. The stress at law school, you know, because I, I study all of this, the stress for law school is 96% of the students are stressed, extremely mm-hmm. stressed, versus 70% of med students, wow. versus 43% of grad school students. So, you know, if one did not have that drive and that control to, um, to finish law school and to do all the things, it's competition, you know. Law school is all about, as you know, it's all about competition. And so you have to have a big control just to make it. Right. Just to make it. You have to claw yourself through the school and, and, and graduate and, and then pass the bar. So that took a lot of control. You had to do it yourself. So right. now you're saying to grow my practice, I have to depend on someone else. Like, I couldn't trust anyone else to take my take the bar for me. I couldn't take any, anyone to, to turn in my papers or take the exam. So, well, and I what think my the, I, can do. The law firm culture mm-hmm. supports that as well. Because one of uh-huh. the things that was so scary, I remember for me, when I started mm-hmm. my own practice mm-hmm. out of law school, is you feel mm-hmm. like you're going to have to turn in your bar card at any moment because there's so mm-hmm. many rules there's professional mm-hmm. rules of conduct there's mm-hmm. the rules of the court mm-hmm. there's the rules of this mm-hmm. local jurisdiction there's both state yeah. laws and federal laws mm-hmm. and you're afraid mm-hmm. that at any moment you're 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 threatened all through law school mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. you know that you could lose your mm-hmm. license if somebody else right. does this on right. your watch right. in your firm right so there's a right. very real aspect to that threat mm-hmm. that already adds to your own mm-hmm. so the minute mm-hmm. you start hiring people you think if that paralegal screws up it could cost mm-hmm. me all this that i've worked for and i haven't right. even begun to pay off the student loans you know right right absolutely but the training you know it's, it's the it's you know if you really you know it's not like you throw someone out you know i like i have someone now it's okay let's you know, you've got to start, tra- you know, we're training. Here's a training program. Let's make a list of the priorities of things you're going to slowly turn over yeah. to this person. And, right. you know, now a lot, a lot of uh, paralegals are virtual. So that makes it, you know, in the beginning, yeah, it's a lot of work. You got to double check on them. You know, they, you have to be able to tr- learn to trust them. Obviously, you're not going to hire someone and, tr- and, and risk your, your practice hoping that they know how to do it. But once you, gain that trust, you, you have to put in the time to develop that trust. You have to train them to do it the way you want it done so that then you have someone. It's like my, my client, the one that had hired the three paralegals, and we had a um, company meeting at a company coaching session with the staff, was her, her and her staff. And, you know, I just, when we got off the call, I said, I am so proud of you because these women you've hired have your back. They have your back. And she's the one that's going on and building a law practice uh, beyond anything she could have even imagined that she would have created. And that's really a skill set that you have to learn, too. I mean, Mm -hmm. haven't you seen there are so many people that sort of have this expectation on themselves that they're supposed to just know how to run a law practice when they, you know, just because they just because they should, they're lawyers, they should know how to run a law practice, not really taking into account that there are a whole set of skills 
mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, or that other people make complete professions out of like marketing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so right. to have the expectation on yourself that you're going to be the expert marketer and you're going to be the expert, you know, whatever other aspects of running the firm, uh, uh, manager or leader, mm-hmm. right. When you haven't had training in that. Right. And right. You know, that can have a huge impact on that pressure that we put on ourselves. You know, and well, it's great when you have somebody who says, you know, you don't have to carry all these bags. You have to have a vision, mm-hmm. you know, and make sure that it comes to pass. But it doesn't mean you're the one that has to do all of it. Right. You know, I, Davina, you're making such a good point because lawyers are, tra- are trained to practice law. Mm-hmm. They are not business people. They are, they did not, I mean, there's all the aspects of running a business that has to be learned, you know, by trial and error, unless you take a business course, right? How to run a business. Right. So, you know, a lot of that. So you really, that's why, you know, you know, getting support, getting um, a coach. Um, I was just talking to a client of mine and they are, you know, quarantined because they're uh, in Atlanta. And so we were talking about, okay, you know, Okay, let's let's talk about you getting the help you need, and let's talk about who you need to, who you need to hire, and and let's talk about how to get your Google ranking up. So you need to have that. Like all of my clients, I have someone that builds their website. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, how many lawyers have you met who say, oh, "I build my own website," and then you're like, "Why? But yeah. why?" <laughs> well, because they're on a budget. Really, they're yeah. starting, but I like I have a guy. I mean, he's a little more now, but like for under five hundred dollars, he's built phenomenal websites. And one of my clients had uh, her her place place was going to charge her five thousand dollars for a website. And my guy did it for a thousand. So mm-hmm. you know, money is a concern, but you know that's why you have to have you've got to have support. You know, you know you've got to have. Someone who's in there and is invested with you, especially if you have a solo practice, because there's so many things. It's like you can't have eyes behind your head. Right. So you right. really need to have that person who can be there with you. You know, um, a, lot of, a lot of my clients have said, I feel like you're, you're right there in my practice because I, I don't, I talk to my clients a couple of times a week. Mm-hmm. And I break it down because I think that, you know, it can be lonely. It can be pre- a lot of pressure. And so mm-hmm. t- having shorter calls, you know, and kind of checking in, making sure that they're accountable, making sure that they're able to do the things they're afraid to do is important. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and I, I just wanted to say this, is that, you know, the mental health part is very, very important. I, I was uh, honored to be a peer reviewer for the lawyer well-being report that was published by the ABA in 2017. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I really, really am concerned and an advocate for women lawyers who are having, uh, who are, are, you know, breaking because of the stress. Because right. it's, it's an epidemic, it's an epidemic proportion of the stress that lawyers experience. And it's not just the person. It's nothing wrong with the person. Not wrong with the woman lawyer. It's the nature of the beast. And right. so acknowledging that, 
6.7% is what they I, I think that's a little low for the, for the general population when lawyers stress is 28%. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's something right now with you and I recording this um, right at the time that there's been a lot of uh, protests going on o- o- mm-hmm. over in the United States um, mm-hmm. over the death of George Floyd and the murder of mm-hmm. George Floyd. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of the women listening to this podcast are mm-hmm. attorneys who own their own practice and they're women of color. And mm-hmm. so in addition to this kind of growing your own practice and, mm-hmm. um, and the racism and issues that we already have in our society that mm-hmm. complicate mm-hmm. that, um, to give an example, one of the things that so many women, uh, law firm owners of color, tell me women, lawyers of color, tell me and tell others, um, share your, they're sharing in social groups about how they're so often mistaken for uh, pair of the, the court reporter. And right. I'm not sure that they're actually mistaken. I think oftentimes mm-hmm. that's said to them mm-hmm. deliberately to make them feel disempowered when they go into a courtroom. And mm-hmm. so you add on top of that stress that you feel from starting a law firm, from being a lawyer mm-hmm. to begin with, where you already feel like mm-hmm. everything you do is going to mm-hmm. be the wrong thing, you know, because it's a, it's a difficult, it's a challenging profession, right? And it then is. you throw on top of that starting your own business. Mm-hmm. Then you throw on top of that the racism in our society. And now mm-hmm. you've really got the makings of mm-hmm. pressure and um, the effect that that has on your mental and emotional health. Have you experienced that in working with some of your clients, had those conversations well, yeah, uh, you know, like I, I've had uh, some of my clients that say, you know, like they'll be with opposing counsel or they'll say girly or uh, some sort of uh, denigrating something to say, well, you're not really a lawyer. And, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of times, you know, even, you know, unfortunately, even judges have, you know, a certain viewpoint. Um, like I have a client and she says that, uh, you know, that she felt she didn't feel fear, fairly treated when the, when she came before this particular judge right. because he always went towards the, the white male and, you know, let's just, okay. Like race is like this huge thing where today with all of this is going on, anyone of, of color, we actually refill the trauma. You know, we refill the trauma, the things that we say, okay, Next, you know, you just, you, you can't dwell on it. You just, cause otherwise you, you know, you would buckle. You just say the next, the next, the next. But if you just right. sit down a moment and you kind of think of all the years and all the decades that you've been treated unfairly, you know, it can be very debilitating and can be very depressing. And you, and you know, I, I just say, this is what I say, that uh, this, this can be our finest hour. You know, this can be, and with the patriarchal system in the legal right. profession is a, a patriarchal, you know, profession. Yeah, it's a, and, it's a huge uh, issue. It's a huge issue yes, in the profession. Yes. So, um, so I say it's our, make it our finest hour. You know, yeah. we could go there. We could go there and, you know, every one of us, we could go there and be angry and bitter and depressed and what's the use. I have had a young uh, law student. 
I also help. I also have another business where I help women with heartache, believe it or not. But uh, she's a young. Um, she just graduated from law school, and she's in New Jersey, and she's a social into social justice. Uh, she she's Hispanic, but she was saying she's a Latina, and she said, uh, "I was like, I'm I'm graduating out of school. I'm doing a social justice. I thought about what's the use. What am I doing all this for when there's so much unfairness?" And, you know, and I say, let's just make this our finest hour. Don't buckle down under it. Don't drink too much. Don't eat too much. Make sure you exercise. Drink water. Just pull your head above it, above it all because this is a historic moment. And so you will be able to say, I soared or I put my stake in the ground. And I said, I'm not going to allow these circumstances and these institutions and these people to dim my light. I'm going to right. let my light shine. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to take care of myself because one of the things that women do, I'll tell you, is we, we self-destruct ourselves. We drink too much. Alcohol abuse in the, in the legal profession, 21%. That means, you know, if you have 100 people, 20 are, are, are abusing alcohol. So we eat or we, we will do overeating or we'll become anorexic or we'll right. become dehydrated. We are the first ones. We neglect ourselves as, as women. And if we don't put ourselves first, we can't be any good to anybody. We can't right. be good to our clients. We can't be good to our uh, in, in the community or in the social system or the social structure. So that's why I say, let's make this our finest hour as opposed to saying, you know, throwing up our hands and giving up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. I think that's great advice. And I, I, I am a big believer of putting your own oxygen mask on first, you know, as they say, Absolutely. when you fly, and mm -hmm. because you're no good mm -hmm. to anybody else until you take care of your mental, emotional, and physical health first. And I know you are a Absolutely. big component of that. You've, you've published, you know, probably over 125 articles on that subject, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I have. I just, I just keep preaching it because, you know, and I, you know, like I have a client who uh, the other day, you know, I, what I said was, you know, they were doing, we've been working a while and they've done a lot with their practice and she's doing a lot of great things and let go of a, a person she had working with her for 18 years who was bitter and toxic and, 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 and uh, dis, you know, denigrated her every time she came to the office. I always had something nasty to say. Finally got rid of her. And so we said, okay, I said, you know what? I have to say this to you. If you don't take care of your health and your weight and your, your well-being, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make it. Cause she's, you know, she's 60. Yeah. And lawyers are practicing. You know, before lawyers might be retiring at 50 or 60, but today a lot of them can't retire. We'll never retire. And so, you, you know, you have to, you have to take care of yourself and you right. have to stop doing things that are self-destructive. And believe it or not, she lost, um, I told her to get this app and she uh, lost 25 pounds in a month. Yeah, yeah, that that is something that uh, I turned forty when I was in law school, and mm. uh, so I hit the forties. Right, I was always 
I was always, my grandmother's word for me was lanky. That's, I was always very slender. And then I hit mm-hmm. the forties and I was going to law mm-hmm. school and I gained 30 mm-hmm. pounds in law school. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. I started my own practice, it was mm-hmm. a battle. Mm-hmm. Because you're just right. sitting all the time and you're very stressed. And so mm-hmm. you get home at mm-hmm. night and you just feel mm-hmm. so drained. And all you want mm-hmm. is that glass of wine or those mm-hmm. munchies in front of the couch or whatever it is. And the last thing you Absolutely. like doing is exercising. Mm-hmm. So the profession itself makes it mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. challenge for that as yeah. well. And it really takes a decision. It takes mm-hmm. a decision to say, this is not sustainable for the long term. This is not what I want for myself for the rest of my life. You know, if you want, I want to live a joyful and healthy life for the rest of my life. So it's super, super important to take care of our ourselves first. Uh, before we wrap up, I, I do want to touch on your. Um, you actually have worked with clients not just in the United States, but you've helped you've helped them expand. You had a client that you, uh, I know of that you really helped expand to Hong Kong and Shanghai. So they took their firm mm-hmm. international. Tell us mm-hmm. about that aspect of your, your practice. Well, uh, this was someone who um, had been associated with a large firm. So they knew, you know, had contacts in those areas. And today the world is flat. You, I mean, if, when a person wants to do international, I mean, it's, you know, it's just really the same thing as, as if you were contacting someone, if you were in L.A. and, and New York. Mm-hmm. So just like really contacting and um, going over. Like this person, um, she actually went over there and, and had meetings. But, I mean, you could now, you can't even go there. So you have to do it all. <laughs> the, 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 playing, the playing field is level. So you can make these contacts uh, in all over the world. I did. I I had a very close partnership with the bar association in South Africa, and I did um, workshops for the women lawyers there, and that is an extremely patriarchal right. system. And they were like so appreciative to be able to have you know someone to talk about these issues with and get to get coaching on um, you know and and the bar association there was was blessing. That them getting this information and wanted them as women lawyers to be able to go out there and spread their wings. Right, right. I and you know one of the things I like. You know, my career. Uh, I was in marketing for years before I became an attorney, and so mm-hmm. I was working in the nineties. You know, in marketing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's so amazing to me and so awesome um, to consider the advantages we have now in reaching out to people throughout the world, because we have all these mm-hmm. social networks uh, yeah. now that are great tools to use for mm-hmm. connecting and reaching out to people in other countries, other States or w- whatever it is you choose to do to really expand your network. And uh, of course now with this global pandemic, people are getting much more comfortable with using video conferencing and these types of resources Um, so it will be interesting to see when this, hopefully when this is over, what it will be like for people in their businesses and if they'll continue to travel the way that they have in their business, or if they'll get kind of spoiled with using these, these tools that we have available, because, you know, when we started out in the nineties doing this kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine if we'd had this kind of situation 
mm-hmm. in the late 90s or early 2000s. I mean, even when I started my practice in 2007, mm-hmm. you know, Facebook was just a new thing and LinkedIn was new mm-hmm. and Instagram hadn't mm-hmm. even been created yet. So uh-huh. um, it's amazing what we have now available to us. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, my, one of my clients who's a judge, you know, I do most of my meetings on Zoom. I've been doing it on Zoom for like the last four or five years. Right. So, you know, so my client, you know, she had never used used Zoom. So then when the pandemic struck, she was the the Zoom expert. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She had to teach the whole court system how, you know, because they're doing all of their trials, all their courts on Zoom. And uh, she says, yeah, you know, because I've been working with you all that time. I was the person, the point person to teach everyone how to use She was the old pro it. at this point. She's the old pro. <laughs> that <was laughs> That's funny. fantastic. That's fantastic. So I really appreciate you being here today and talking with us. You've shared so much, and I think you've given uh, our audience so much to think about. And And I'll be curious how many people, you know, stop and they start thinking about, gosh, how is my seven-year-old showing up and running my practice because uh, I think that's really going to cause a lot of people to think about that. And uh, so super, super helpful. And we really appreciate it today. Tell us how we can find out more information and connect with you if we want to connect with you. Okay. um, I'm going to tell you my email first. It's Pamela at PamelaDenev.com. So if you wanted to connect with me on LinkedIn, you would need to have my email address. So it's Pamela at PamelaDeneuve.com. My website is PamelaDeneuve.com. Yay. So, so that's uh, simple so enough. Spell your, spell your last name for us so that we uh, so that okay. everybody knows that. Okay. Okay. My last name is spelled D like David, E, N like Nancy, E, U, D like Victor, E, Deneuve. Right. And, and then Pamela, of course, is P-A-M-E-L-A. But Pamela Deneuve, D-E-N-E-U-V, like Victor, E, dot com. Great, great. That way oh, everybody... I didn't say E. I, I just misspelled my last name. It's <laughs> D-E-N-E-U-V, like Victor, E, dot com. We'll also have it, uh, you know, written on the title and in the show notes. So if anybody is not where they can write that down, you can look there and it will be there for you. But I just wanted to make sure that everybody was you know, knew that since your name, like my name is uh-huh. uh, my email address. And it's mm-hmm. also kind of a, a, my name is kind of a challenging name, too. So um, I don't know if they want to call me. They said she doesn't even know how to spell her name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thanks so much for um, being here and sharing with us today. I've really enjoyed our time together. Thank you for inviting me. And it was my pleasure. And thank you so much. At Wealthy Woman Lawyer, we help women law firm owners build profitable, sustainable, wealth-generating law firms without overwork or overwhelm, so you can live your best life. If you are ready to create more of what you desire most in your business and your life, then you'll want to sign up now for our free training, Seven Shifts to Create a Wealth-Generating Law Firm Without Killing Yourself in the Process. Register now at WealthyWomanLawyer.com training to receive this free training immediately. And thank you for listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast.